Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Well, the rights of the individual and what I individually think, that just matters. It always has. But that's relatively recent. It's really just been a few hundred years that that's been the case. Because if you were, you know, in the late 1400s and you lived in somewhere in Europe, what you individually thought about reality, people, how you should live, nobody gave a shit about that. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Before we dive into the content of this course excerpt, focusing on the dynamic between healthy surrender and unhealthy submission, we need to look at the context of the historical evolution of individual consciousness and how it evolved rapidly from the 1400s to the modern day, and how our concept of individualism is still very much in flux, especially in the United States. This series is another piece from the Learning for Change course, which we've been working through over the last few months. If you're getting ready for a new year, but you want to do more than just another tenuous New Year's resolution and actually change something on a deep level, you may want to check out the Learning for Change course, which you can find at courses.clearandopen.com. Also, it's that time again. I have a new course beginning January 7th, 2021. It's called Self-Authority, Access to Authentic Power, and I'm excited to tell you about it. You know, I like to say there are six things with which humans have profound difficulty and confusion. God, sex, love, money, death, and power. I just finished a live course on money. It's called Money from Burden to Freedom, and that's now available online. It went so well that I thought I'd do the same thing with power, especially because a lot of people's money issues that came up had to do with power. They're intertwined in some significant ways. So it just made sense for the next course to be about power. Most people either crave power too much or don't own the power that they have, and it can depend on the domain for the person. The root issue, though, is inevitably your relationship to power itself and how power was misused in your childhood, especially against and with you. Because the first people of power in our lives is our parents. So unless you claim to have perfect parents, you, like the rest of us, have power issues. Power issues show up hugely in romantic and management relationships, any close relationship with a person, even friendships, but they can also be more subtle and leak into domains of money and spirituality. In short, power is one of those things you really want to clean up in yourself if you care about living a conscious and authentic life. And if you're ambitious and want to make things happen, it's even more important that you clean up your relationship to power before you have a lot of it or try to exert a lot of it because your stuff is going to get thrown in your face when you do. So this course in the end is about ending the cycle of chasing power and or not standing in the power you already have. To learn more, go to clearandopen.com authority. Again, that's clearandopen.com authority. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Let's start the show. Yeah, so welcome. This is session six, I'm pretty sure, of Learning for Change. Is it what you thought it would be? 
No. What was the assignment last time? That I do know, but I want to hear you say it. Anybody actually do it? That'll be the topic of our of our session today. Following instructions. That's the theme today. Yeah. I've been thinking about it. Thinking about it or doing it? No, not not actually writing it out yet. It's mm-hmm. been mulling around in my head. Okay. So let's dive into a little bit of a history of consciousness lesson on, on this topic. If you know, if you've heard me talk about this before, don't jump in with the answer. What was the first and only country to be founded on the rights of the individual? In the history of our little blue planet, the only country to be founded on the rights of the individual. For 500 points. It's a lot of points. Think about what you could do with all those points. Just imagine anything is possible with 500 points. You know, is it Laos? <laughs> Not Laos. There's, there's like a country over by Thailand where it's like, um, Rebecca, you are, you're so funny in ways I don't think you even realize. No, the answer we were looking for was the United States, the only country to be founded on the rights of the individual, because it's, you know, I think probably the newest country there is, right? It's, it's, uh, it's not very old at all. It's just a few hundred years, which is incredibly young. But we as Americans, we tend to forget that. I remember vividly, uh, I was with a partner when I was uh, traveling in, in Germany. And she's like, oh, I'm going to meet up. She was German. She said, I was going to meet up with her father and wanted some alone time with him. You know, and just wander around. We're in downtown Frankfurt. And I'm just like, yeah, I'll just wander around. And I... In a few minutes, I went into a church that was built in like 1100, you know, like that's what they have there. Like there it is, 11, what was going on in the States in 1100? Not much. It's not a lot of like large buildings being built at that time. It's, it's really easy for we Americans to forget how incredibly young we are as a culture. And there are good things about that. And there are bad things as with everything, there's light and shadow. So a country being based on the rights of the individual in 1776, or depending on where, where you want to pin it, was a really big deal. That was the Declaration of Independence, 1776, if I remember right. It was a really big deal because prior to that, who ran first world countries? You know, not besides tribes, but even then you could make a case for it. But who was running the show? Renaissance Europe and all that. Kings and queens. Kings and queens, right? So the United States was uh, one of the first countries around that time. I guess the first. Because, of course, the French Revolution was not long after that. That was 1789 and largely influenced by the American Revolution. In fact, a lot of our constitution that later came, came from um, the principles of the French Revolution. There was a lot of sort of cross-pollinating. You know, we tend to think of you know, the United States as being 
this incredibly rebellious, independent, like, you know, we did the rights of the individual first and freedom on all that. But there was a kind of, you know, remember the Arab Spring from a while back? That was what was going on all over the, uh, all over Europe. There was more and more rebellion against the kings and queens, and that had been going on since, you know, late 16th century. Uh, people have been rebelling against the divine right of kings and all that. A time where, you know, you could just basically say, well, I'm descended from gods or God or my bloodline goes all the way back to whatever famous powerful person. Therefore, I should get to rule this place. And so should my son and his son and so on. And that, those were the qualifications for running a country. And that's like how it was for, you know, over a thousand years. Wasn't that great a system? That's why we tend to call it the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages created a lot of um, separation between uh, classes. So the United States founded on the rights of the individual and we're bestowed with the freedom to pursue happiness and get our individual needs met. Prior to that, the needs of the individual were really not so important. And evolutionarily speaking, this is understandable. Why? Because in a tribal society, the needs of the group must be greater in importance than the needs of the individual so that the group can survive. The example I often give is, you know, in a tribe of a hundred individuals, when it's your turn to watch for lions in the middle of the night who may come and try to eat the children, your responsibility is to repress your need for sleep in the name of serving the larger whole, right? That's a quote-unquote sacrifice of your individual needs to serve the whole. And that is a necessary path of development and necessary consciousness. But it doesn't really apply so much today. Have you noticed? You're not so responsible for the survival of the species. But in a tribe of 100 people, there could be a moment where you are. So as we've developed technology and medicine and industry and structure and walls, things like that, the need for an individual to sublimate, repress, set aside, whatever you want to call it, our individual needs is not so important. And then, so that leads to a natural sort of uprising of individual needs. And that's why it took a very long time for something like psychology to come around. Psychology was born when? How long ago was that? How long ago, and let's sort of define that, how long ago did it become interesting for human beings to look at their individual emotional needs, their individual filters, their ways of processing reality, the uniqueness of an individual? When did that actually become a science? For, this is easier, 100 points. Now, just think of what you could have done if you'd gotten the first one right. With 600 points, then you'd be unstoppable. For 100 points, how about uh, Freud's publication of the interpretation of dreams? I'll give you a hint. It's a round number. When was it published? 
1950. Oh, not bad. 50 years earlier than that, 1900. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Sigmund Freud is credited with the being the, the sort of father of psychology, but there was a guy named uh, Breuer, uh, Joseph Breuer, I think, somebody Breuer, who was his mentor in Germany. So it was the uh, late, or Austria, it was the late um, 19th century that psychology started to become interesting. And you can see this in art and poetry. It, it all started, at, you know, it's like nothing happens in a point of time, even though we like to think of it that way. You know, we think of, oh, well, Freud, and he started psychology, like he woke up one day and just created it. That's not how it happened. It was happening over many, many years, and it began with the Renaissance, uh, where there became more and more an interest in the individual and the individual expression. And you can see it in poetry and the art and all that, because uh, culture was getting under out from underneath the thumb of the Catholic Church. Because if you're somebody like the Catholic Church, and certainly I'm not picking on Catholics here, any uh, theocracy, and there are many, who wants to have absolute control over a population is, of course, like, well, if you're going, if you want absolute control over a population and you want to convince that population that you have a unique connection to the divine, whether whatever you call that, whatever that is, then the rights, needs, and wills of individuals is a problem, isn't it? Right? So you want to make sure that uh, they don't get any really strong ideas about their individual self-expression being important. In particular, in that example, uh, you know, the, the great schism between uh, Protestantism and Catholicism, which began with what invention for 200 points? The printing press. The printing press, which was when? <laughs> Isn't that near the Tudor era? 1500, 1300, 14, no, wait, 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 Catherine of Aragon was 14. I'm impressed. Let's look at the names he's dropping. Uh, maybe, uh, oh shit, mid 1400s? Late 1400s, early 1500s. That okay. was when the printing press, I think, went into sort of uh, more mass production uh, in 1512 or something around there is when it gets... Uh, credited. And that was a really big deal because they started to print what? For 200 points. This is so fun, this point thing. I told you I was in a funny mood today. What was the big deal that they were printing that changed the course of the evolution of consciousness forever? The Bible. The Bible, correct. And why was that such a big deal? Because then it put um, the spiritual aspects of a direct relationship to God in the people's hands. Yes, it meant that because the Catholic Church system was, well, we're the only ones who can read Latin. The Bible is only in Latin. We'll tell you how God is telling us that you should live and you all just do what we say. Right? That was the deal. And so Protestants were like, hmm, this thing where we're giving you most of our money and you tell us what to do, that's not really working out so well for us. We see you're just getting richer and more powerful and we're continuing to suffer. So they translated the Bible into German and made it mass, massly available. And so the people, and then that proliferated from there. And so then it decentralized the power of the church and started to move the 
power and rights and interest and relevance of the individual. And it's, it's hard to understand what a big deal that is because we just automatically come from a place of, well, the rights of the individual and what I individually think that just matters. It always has, but that's relatively recent. It's really just been a few hundred years that that's been the case. Because if you were, you know, in the late 1400s and you lived in somewhere in Europe, what you individually thought about reality, people, how you should live, nobody gave a shit about that. (laughs) It was like not even really something you talked about. You were all too busy trying to live according to the rules passed down by, you know, um, the uh, who was chosen by God to run the show. It's really remarkable to think that that was just like 500 years ago, not that long ago at all. So a country being founded on the rights of the individual is an enormously big deal. And that's what we're still sort of celebrating. And I talked about this, God, for a thousand points. Does anybody remember where I did like several hours on this whole history of philosophy stuff? And what course was that? Does anybody know? Because I don't know. I have no idea. I think it was the inquiry course. Ah, I think you're right. So see managing with inquiry for the longer treatise on this subject. Thousand points. Thousand points. Yeah. I mean, now you're like Bill Gates. (laughs) You should run for office with all those points. (laughs) So, all right. So why is this all important? Because we learn all this history stuff. And unfortunately, uh, rarely does it ever really get put into a context that's relevant to you. The reason it's important is because, well, first of all, you don't have to be American for this North American. Or I, I hate American as a side that the, that the United States people call themselves American when Canada and Mexico is all part of North America too. It's incredibly uh, narcissistic in a way. So, I, you, but it's hard. You can't really say United Statesian. So anyway, it's not just for Americans because Americans as the first country to be founded on the rights of the individual, they've become this beacon of freedom and this template, this model for modern society. And, you know, everybody has wanted to be like America, uh, you know, ever since you used to be able to sell blue jeans in the Soviet Union for lots of money. And the, the, the America is romanticized right? The American dream and the whole immigrants going to America and, you know, the popularity of American music and Hollywood and all that. Uh, And uh, just for you, Michael, reference to the Eurovision contest, which is, if you haven't, just YouTube Eurovision contest. It's a parade of ridiculousness that is all about European performers trying to be like Americans. And the whole thing isn't done in English, which is so funny none of their native languages are English, uh, um, but they're all just trying to be like America. And to me, that's just like such a, an encapsulation of that, of this uh, Americanophilia or something. I don't know what you call it. Everybody wants to be like us, as if like we've got it all figured out here in America, right? because it's actually a mess. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that clear and open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do.
If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.